before I get to the, to the sermon and we're talking th- this week and next week about missions and we're calling this All In, a vision for missions, uh, this Tuesday is we are having a family Thanksgiving service at ACAC, and this is new to us as far as a service schedule go, and this relates to missions, but I want to personally invite you to come. And so it's 7 o'clock on Tuesday evening, right before Thanksgiving, two days before Thanksgiving, we're going to meet here in the sanctuary and have a one-hour family service. So what do I mean by family service? I mean you bring your kids in. And uh, our children's ministry is going to, we're going to have a moment during that service where we invite the kids to come forward and they're going to give a age-appropriate Bible lesson during the service. We're going to have a time of worship together and giving thanks. I'm going to have a brief, it'll be brief, message uh, from the Word. And we're going to come and not look to receive, but just come and give thanks and say, Lord, our hearts are content no matter where we're at, for what we're doing. And in relation to missions, at the end of the service, we are going to receive a Christmas missionary offering um, for our ACAC missionaries to be a blessing to them in December. If you're not familiar, this is something that we do each year. Last year, I believe we, um, I don't know what the specific number is. I know it was the largest offering we have ever given. And all of that money goes directly to our missionaries as a Christmas gift to them. And so instead of receiving again, I'm going to ask that you pray about that and come Tuesday evening and be ready to bless these folks who are serving all over the world. So I hope you uh, join us Tuesday evening at seven o'clock here in the sanctuary. We will live stream that as well uh, for those who can't be here in person. So I introduced Ashley to you and, and I flubbed up and said job restriction instead of job description. But I think all of us understand and if you work at all, you most likely have a job description. I remember when Ashley and I sat together, when she looked, we gave her a description of the responsibilities that she was going to have in leading the college and career ministry. Well, how many of you know that as a Christ follower, we have a job description? We do. And it really, one in particular, if if God was going to write that out in the same format that our HR department does, um, the Great Commission, Matthew 28, would be probably right at the top of that. And that is, the, that is the description, the job requirements of what it means when you sign up to be a Christ follower, you are signing up to fulfill, in the way God has called you to uniquely, the Great Commission. And so it's a verse that you're familiar with, but this is really the heart, and we can never forget that. So let's look at this verse together. Uh, Therefore, Matthew says, go, or Jesus said towards the end of his time, Matthew writes it, go and make disciples of some of the nations. All. Say all. All All in. All in. All people from every nation. Jesus says go. Go to all nations. Go to all people. Let's continue in this. Baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. This, This command is to be actively, we are to be actively engaged in helping all people. Say all. All people grow in their knowledge and love of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit. So as we speak about a vision for missions, being all in for the mission of God means all of Jesus for all the world takes all of us. Say all. All people. It takes all of us. So what holds us back? I mean, we know this. We teach our kids this in kindergarten. 
Some of you have been Christ followers and members of ACAC for 40 years. But what holds us back from doing the most simplest thing that God calls us to, the thing that we know, but sometimes we don't fulfill? Specifically here at ACAC, what is stopping us? What is holding us back from truly fulfilling the command given to us by Jesus himself? And let me ask you this question. Is it possible for the most sincere, for the most committed and devoted Christ follower to have unrecognized areas in their life that are prohibiting them or holding them back from accomplishing this well-known Great Commission? That's the message for today, and I believe the answer is yes. You see, there's a story in the book of Acts that reveals that even the one, one of the most well-recognized and courageous followers of Jesus lived with unintended biases in his heart and in his life that were holding him back from fulfilling God's great commission. It's a story of, that involves one of Jesus' closest companions— and the one, really, one of the most influential Christians in the first century. And his name was Peter. And this is really a great message following up to Pastor Ed's message on Be Like Andrew last week. And so to give you a little background on the Apostle Peter, you, most of you probably know much about him. He was one of Jesus' closest companions after the resurrection became, as I said, one of the most influential apostles in the first century. In Matthew 16 specifically, he was the first disciple to recognize Jesus as the Messiah. He asked his disciples, who do people say that I am? Who do you say that I am? And you may remember Peter says, you're the Messiah. And then Jesus responds by changing Peter's name and he, he gives them the key to the kingdom of heaven. This is a leader of leaders. This was a leader of men. This was a person who was bold and courageous. He was a preacher. I mean, when it happened with Jesus, Peter was there. When it came to healings, when it came to feeding of the multitudes, when it came to the Sermon on the Mount, when it came to miracles, Peter was there. When it was meeting with the Samaritan woman at the well, Peter was there. The transfiguration of Jesus, Peter was there. When, he was in, when Jesus was in Gethsemane before the cross, who was there? Peter. And even after the resurrection, at the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, which we call Pentecost, Peter led the way. It was Peter who gave a sermon quickly after that, and 3,000 people got saved and joined the church. Can you imagine a pastor giving a sermon and 3,000 people responding? That's pretty amazing. This is Peter. It was Peter who performs the first miracle as an apostle post-Jesus' resurrection and ascension into heaven. Yet despite all of this, despite his portfolio— all of this achievement, all this notoriety, all of this influence, we're about to see that God still needed to deal with Peter's heart because he had unintended biases that were holding him back from fulfilling the vision for mission that God has for all of us. You see, Peter learned what we must. And if you were going to boil this whole message down into one theme, it would be this. Peter learned this message and you and I have to learn it. That for us to fulfill the vision of missions Jesus commands of us, we must allow the Holy Spirit to address our own unintended biases. 
So the text that we're going to look at today is the 10th chapter of Acts. Now, this is the longest chapter in the book of Acts. And normally, I like us to read the entire text, but it would take about five to seven minutes to do that. And so I'm going to read a portion of it, and then I'm going to paraphrase or paint the picture in the story to you. So in the 10th chapter of Acts, there, it begins with two separate visions, visions that God gave two different people in two different locations, and then they come together, and it formulates a vision for missions that God wants to work in Peter's heart. And so the first vision was a vision to a man named Cornelius. So if you go to Acts chapter 10, the very first verse, the Bible says that in Caesarea, there lived a Roman army officer named Cornelius. Now keep it there for a minute. So Caesarea is uh, right, on, right on the coast. Uh, actually, having traveled to Israel a couple times, it, it's one of my favorite places to view. Um, this was a fortress on the sea. It's absolutely beautiful. It was built by King Herod. But in Peter's day, Jewish people didn't go there. Okay, this was a Roman city. Um, it would have been off limits to Jewish people. They just would not have felt very comfortable there at all. So this is where that happened. And there was a Roman army officer whose name was Cornelius. So let's continue in this. So Cornelius, who's in Caesarea, the Bible says, was a captain of the Italian regiment. So Cornelius would have been um, over about 100 troops, and he's in this city of Caesarea. And again, we're not going to read it, but I'll tell you what happens. The Lord comes to him in a vision. And the Bible says that Cornelius was a God-fearing man. He gave to the poor, and he prayed. So you may think, um, well, he's a Christ follower. He's a Christian. He's saved in our terms. Well, in the 11th chapter, Peter retells what happens, and he says that in this vision that God gave to Cornelius, um, God tells Cornelius to call on Simon Peter so that he and his household could be saved. So the Bible tells us Cornelius, though he prayed and was a God-fearing man, there was salvation that needed to happen in his heart. So an angel of the Lord comes to Cornelius and says, Cornelius, I want you to send some men to a town named Joppa, which is about 38 miles south of you. And I want you to call on a man named Simon Peter, and he's going to come and bring salvation to you. So Cornelius does that. And the very next day, Cornelius sends um, two or three guys down 38 miles, about a day's walk, to the city of Joppa. Okay? At the, the very same time these men are approaching the city of Joppa, the Bible says this. The second vision happens to the second person. The next day, as Cornelius' messengers were nearing the town, Peter went up on the flat roof to pray. Bible says it was about noon, and he was hungry, but while a meal was being prepared, prepared, he fell into a trance. Now, the Lord told Cornelius, and Peter at this time, was in uh, the tanner's house. And, um, and so Peter was there, and he receives this vision. He goes up around noon, the Bible says, to pray. And while he's praying, he falls into a trance, or he's meditating, and the Lord gives Peter a vision. And the vision, you can read this in Acts chapter 10, is a sheet that's coming down from heaven. So Peter's praying, you imagine this. He's praying, and in his, in his mind, there's a vision of a sheet coming down. And in this sheet are a bunch of animals, birds and reptiles. And where this is important is these animals that were in this sheet are animals that a Jewish person like Peter at that time would never touch and would never eat. You with me? So he sees this come down. And then as he sees these animals that are detestable to him, the Bible says that God tells him, kill them and eat them. Here you go. Here's a feast. 
And Peter, possibly thinking it's a test from God, says, no, Lord, I would never. But God says, Peter, kill and eat. And then he see the Bible says this happens three times. And then he tells Peter, there are some men coming from Caesarea. Right now they're arriving. Go and meet them and share the gospel. And so Peter responds in obedience. And the very next day, Peter and the Cornelius's men return and go a day's walk back up north to the, to the town of Caesarea. And there's a meeting in Cornelius's home. And then in verse 28, Peter, upon approaching the house, he tells Cornelius and his men at the household, you know it is against our laws for a Jewish man to enter a Gentile home like this or to associate with you. Do you see the significance here? So Peter obeys God and goes up to Caesarea, a town that he would normally never go to. And in his own words, tells Cornelius, "Um, yeah, I normally wouldn't do this. Um, but Peter is, is responding and being obedient to the Lord. And he's, he's just telling him, I, I wouldn't associate with you. But, Peter says, God has shown me that I should no longer think of anyone as impure or unclean. See, uh, right there, Peter is saying at one point, there were people that Peter in his mind felt were unclean and impure. And God wants to address that. Because if we're supposed to reach all people, how are you to see some people as being impure or unclean? So Peter asked Cornelius, hey, why did you send for me? And Cornelius tells Peter about his vision. And he says, we're here waiting. Would you share the message the Lord has given you? So here we go. This is the end of chapter 10. Peter replies, says, I see very clearly, Peter says, like, I mean, can you imagine his mind is being blown away? Like, it's one thing for a Jewish Christ follower. I mean, Peter, the rock, he's like, yeah, I get visions all the time. The Lord speaks to me. Of course he speaks to me. But Cornelius, you're telling me uh, a Roman soldier that God gave you a vision? And, oh, it's confirmed because he told me the same thing he told you, and now I'm here. I mean, Peter's mind is blown. And he says, I see very clearly. And what does he see clearly? that God shows no favoritism in people. In every nation, Peter says, see all of a sudden the light's going off and he's realizing that the people he thought were unpure and unclean that he needed to stay away from, now God is calling him. Every nation, he accepts those who fear him and do what is right. This is the message of the good news for the people of Israel that there is peace with God through Jesus Christ, who is Lord of all. God works in Peter's heart and reveals, convicts Peter that though there were people he thought and deemed were unclean and outside the realm of reach of God's grace with the good news of Jesus, those people are indeed loved by God and they should be welcomed in the family of God. Peter now understands that God shows no favoritism when it comes to the gospel, that every people, every nation, all people are to be reached for the kingdom of God. But here's the key. For Peter to fulfill what God was calling him to, Peter had to have a change of heart. There were unintended biases that he had in his mind, in his heart, and in his being that he would never fulfill the promises that God was calling to if those were not addressed. 
And here's why this is important. We can see through this chapter and text that even the most outspoken, even the most courageous Christ followers need the work of the Holy Spirit in their life to accomplish what God has for them. So you may be sitting here and have been in ACAC for 30 years. You may have been a Christ follower since you were six years old, outspoken about your faith. But it is possible, based on what we just see, that there are unintended biases in your heart that you will never fulfill what God has called you to if you do not allow the Holy Spirit to address them in you. So, as ACAC, we, as we next, this week and next week, we talk about a vision for missions. I want to ask you three questions specifically for us as a family. I believe there are a few dangerous assumptions, unintended biases or thoughts that we may have as well-intended Christ followers here at ACAC when we talk about missions and fulfilling the job description that God called all of us to do, not just our missions pastor. Here they are. Dangerous assumptions. One, you may say, well, I already give to missions. Isn't that enough? No. Peter had been paying the price as much as anyone in spreading the good news of Jesus up to this point, before chapter 10. Now, Peter may not have signed up for a recurring gift online. He may not have texted to give. He may not have made a faith campaign or giving dollars, but Peter was giving his blood, sweat, and tears, and I mean that literally. Following the birth of the church in Acts chapter 2, you can read this later. Go back and read Acts chapter 2, Acts chapter 3 and 4. Peter heals a beggar outside of the temple in the name of Jesus. And tons of people see this, and and Peter, recognizing the opportunity, does what he does best. He starts preaching. Well, they are immediately confronted, the Bible says, by the people that crucified Jesus. The leaders of the religious law, the Jewish people who crucified Jesus, they confront Peter, and there's this theological debate that happens, and Peter basically outduels them communication-wise. And these people are amazed, like, who's this fisherman that just tore us up in the debate theologically? Well, and ultimately, they're, they're afraid of a riot that's happening, so they let Peter and a couple of the other apostles go, and they said, okay, we're going to let you go, but don't you dare ever preach in the name of Jesus again. And guess what they do? They preach. So they continue preaching. They continue to heal the sick. And, of course, they are arrested again. This time, they're in jail now. The Bible says that an angel of the Lord comes and unlocks the door at night and sets them free. And three guesses what they do when they leave the prison. They go preach and heal the sick. I mean, you're not turning down Peter. So once again, they arrest Peter and the other apostles. And now the Bible says they're ready to kill Peter. I mean, they're ready to, he's done. And right about this time as these religious leaders who crucified Jesus, they start debating. And a Pharisee named Gamil speaks up with another opinion. And he says, you know, we shouldn't kill Peter. Guys, do you remember a while back ago, there was another man who said that he was the Messiah and we didn't kill him, we let him go and he died and it ended up being nothing. And so Gamamiel says, hey, if, if that's the case, if it's all fake and phony like we believe it is, 
Peter's going to pass, the apostles will pass, and this will all be nothing. So why kill him and make a martyr of him? But, he says, if it is of God, we will not be able to stop it. And so all of a sudden, the Bible says this, that those other religious, religious leaders accepted his advice. They called in the apostles, and they had them flogged. We often miss that part. They still paid a price. Peter was flogged. And then the Bible continues and says, they ordered them to never speak again in the name of Jesus, and they let them go. And the apostles left the high council rejoicing that God had counting God had counted them worthy to suffer disgrace in the name of Jesus. So if you say, well, I give the missions, isn't that enough? No, the apostle Peter gave his blood, sweat, and tears, and God didn't think that was enough. He still needed to work in Peter's heart. Here's another assumption. Well, some in our fellowship may say, well, I go to ACAC. It's a multicultural church. It's diverse, so I'm good. I understand all people, all nations. I'm good. The apostle Peter, did you know, went to a multicultural church? In fact, the apostle Peter was a part of birthing a multicultural church. And it's not just a multicultural church. Peter was involved in birthing the very first church. He was one of its founding pastors. It's the day of Pentecost. And all of the Jesus followers were gathered together. And the Bible says that the Holy Spirit came in tongues of fire. And the Bible says that everyone began speaking in other languages as the Holy Spirit gave them this ability. And so all of a sudden you have these Jewish people speaking other languages. And those of those languages see this and come running and they're floored and going, wait a second, I know Peter doesn't know how to speak Spanish, but yet he's speaking it pretty good. And then the Bible says this, they were completely amazed, the people around them. When they heard, how can this be, they exclaimed, these people are all from Galilee, these are all Jewish people. And yet we hear them speaking our own native language. Here we are, Parthians, Medes, Elamites, people from Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, they're Asians, they're from Egypt and areas of Libya and Cyrene. Visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs. And we all hear these people speaking in our own language about the wonderful things that God has done. Do you see that? And you know what Peter does? What he does best. He preaches. And the birth of the church is born. The very first church that God birthed was a church full of Europeans, full of Asians, full of Africans, full of Middle Eastern people. Peter was right in the thick of that. So don't tell me that Peter didn't understand what a multi-ethnic diverse church was. He did. So just because you are a part of a diverse church and God still needed to work in Peter's heart, Lord, help us if we think we've arrived to the point where we don't need the Holy Spirit to still address the unintended biases in our heart. Peter was there for the birth of the Lord's church. And yet eight chapters later, we find God giving Peter a new vision for Cornelius. And God telling Peter, there's no favoritism. Here's the last final assumption. And this is a big one. One I hear often. 
Well, isn't this stuff just cultural sensitivity? Isn't this just cultural cultural sensitivity issue being pushed upon by our society today? Can't we just preach Jesus? Can't we just preach Jesus? Do you understand Peter was preaching Jesus? I just got done telling you, he preached when the Holy Spirit fell and 3,000 people got saved. Peter was flogged and whipped and beaten and arrested for preaching Jesus. There was probably no one preaching Jesus more than Peter, but God still felt he needed to do work in Peter's heart for him to be the man that God had called him to be. It's a part of the Jesus message. There was a new vision that led Peter to say to Cornelius, I see very clearly that God shows no favoritism. You see, sanctification, transformation, and missions go hand in hand. Peter's sanctification, Peter's transformation to be more like Jesus led him to a new vision of missions and one that included reaching all people. So all of us have to have an open heart and open hands and open mind at all times saying, Holy Spirit, Work in me so that I can reach the people that you have called me to reach. And here's how I'm going to close. How does that happen? How do we do that? Practical application in our life. How do we do that as a church? How did it happen in Peter's life? The answer and the key to that is found in verse 9 of Acts chapter 10. We read it earlier. The Bible says the next day, as Cornelius' messengers were nearing the town, this is when Peter was in Joppa, Peter went up on the flat roof to pray. It was about noon. Donna, leave this up here for a moment. This may not seem like much. Peter was a Jewish man, and Jewish people to this day pray. There are three times of prayer that they've prayed for years. One is at sunset, one is at three in the afternoon, and one is in the evening when the sun goes down. Peter was a man of prayer, and I want you to look really closely at the time the Bible says. What time was, did Peter go to the rooftop to pray? Noon. Do you notice that that was not one of the Jewish traditional times of prayer? You see, Peter had a prayer life that wasn't rote. It wasn't based on just tradition. Peter did pray at sunrise. He prayed at sunset, and he prayed at three. But Peter was a man of prayer that even at noon, the Bible says when he was hungry, he was on the roof praying. And it is in the spirit of prayer. It's when we're on our knees. It's when we're in God's presence that all of a sudden the Holy Spirit can now come in because we've positioned ourselves to be in a place where God can come in and address those unintended biases. A transformation that would lead Peter reaching cross-culturally to a new, a new vision of missions. But this transformation takes time. Let me tell you, this wasn't a one-time fix for Peter. You see, sanctification and transformation doesn't just happen like that. If it was, we could have an altar call now and have the elders come and we anoint everybody with oil and walk out and whoop, we're sanctified. But if you're honest and you really know me, you know that that sanctification has to happen again, again, and again. And you know that it happened to happen in Peter's life again too. In Galatians chapter 2, the apostle Paul actually calls out Peter 
for unintended bias. After God just gave him a new vision for missions. Let me read this to you. In Galatians chapter 2, verse 11, this is the Apostle Paul speaking. This is after his encounter with Cornelius. The Apostle Paul writes, But when Peter came to Antioch, Paul's doing these missionary journeys. He invites Peter, and Peter comes. Again, this is post-Cornelius encounter. Paul says, I had to oppose him to his face. Paul's saying, I had to put my brother Peter on notice. For what he did, Paul says, was very wrong. When he first arrived, he ate with Gentile believers who were not circumcised. But afterwards, when some friends of James came, Peter wouldn't eat with the Gentiles anymore. He was afraid of criticism from these people who insisted on the necessity of of circumcision. As a result, other Jewish believers followed Peter's hypocrisy, and even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. Do you catch what happened? So the vision that God gave Peter and the sanctification that began in Caesarea, Paul had to call out later because Peter fell back into his old self. He went to Antioch, and when no one was watching, he sat down with these people that he now realized were not unclean and unpure, but all of a sudden James comes, and he changes his tune, and Paul calls him out on it. And see, for you and I, we we can't just allow, well, my unintended biases have been dealt with. No, it is a constant position of going to the Lord in prayer and recognizing, Lord, there are always things in which I grow. There are always things in which I need to bring to you because I bring my perspective, I bring my culture, I bring my background, and you don't just wash it away. You need to work in me. And so when things happen in Kenosha or we see a Rittenhouse verdict and then we struggle going, well, I don't understand why they see that this way or they see that this way. We fall on our knees and say, Lord, help us. Do, do a work in me. Help me address my unintended biases so that I can be used to you to reach all people. That sanctification has to happen daily. I'm out of time and we need to end. And I want us to have a time of prayer. I want you to have a time where you can go to the Lord and begin that work. That you would pray and, and say, Lord, you, here was Peter. Here was a man that you said was a rock. You gave to the keys of heaven. One of the most influential Christians of all time. But Lord, there were still things in him that you needed to work in because you wanted him to reach more people. And I want you to go before the Lord and say, God, I don't want anything to be in me that would hold me back. Any unintended, unconscious bias in my life that would hold me back from sharing the good news of Jesus Christ. I want to fulfill your great commission. So between you and the Lord, would you take that time and pray?
方。Do your work in us. Father, my heart breaks at times because, Lord, we get wrapped up, and oftentimes your people act the same way as the world, and we allow ourselves to be pushed into tribes. We allow ourselves to be divided by events and politics and generations and socioeconomic differences and ethnic differences. And we just follow the world like it's normal, and we don't realize that it impacts the Great Commission, that it impacts the people that you have called us to reach. So, Lord, I pray that, like you did with Peter when he was praying on that roof, that the Holy Spirit came and began to work in him, and even had to continue days later. Lord, do that in us. Lord, forgive us for making excuses like thinking it's enough to give, or it's enough to be at a diverse church, or just to preach Jesus. Lord, convict us, help us. Holy Spirit, we need you. Father in heaven, I thank you. So, Lord, I believe that you are going to do that in us—not just in this moment, but in a Tuesday morning, in a Wednesday afternoon, in a Thursday business meeting. You're going to speak. I pray that we would just be open to listen. In the name of Jesus.